Man, there's been a deep, very deep move of the Holy Spirit this week, in there? All right, well, let's open with prayer. Praying over the Word is so important. And Jesus taught us that. Remember the parable of the seed and the sower? A lot of times people put the emphasis on the sower or maybe even the seed. But Jesus put the emphasis on the soil, didn't he? And the seed was the same as it went out. It wasn't anything with the seed. What was the determining factor was what soil it landed in. And there was some soil that wasn't conducive for it to bear any type of fruit at all. But other soil, it would produce even up to a hundredfold harvest. So that's what, that's what I'm praying about, is that the enemy be bound and that there's good soil, okay? So Lord, as we just agree together, so we're going to get into word for a few minutes tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for your precious Holy Spirit, your awesome presence here tonight. And Lord, we just ask you, as this is going to be preached tonight, that you would anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken. And right now, that every single person that's going to be hearing this, wherever they are, people that are going to hear a recording, watch a video, they're going to see this on Facebook, whatever, we agree together as a church, Lord, let your precious Holy Spirit be released out, and he will move upon all of us. And Lord, I pray by the Holy Spirit that you would help us to get locked in and focused to what is God saying to us. That our minds and our hearts will be such good soil that the Holy Spirit will help us to understand the Word of God and that we will be able by the Holy Spirit to see and hear, have eyes and ears of the Spirit, maybe what we couldn't before. That our hearts will be in tune with you, Lord. There won't be distractions, but we'll just be focused on what the Lord is saying. And Lord, I pray that this will go out like seed of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, let this be like a light shining, dispelling the darkness and bringing truth. And Lord, let this be uh, the winds of your spirit carry this everywhere it needs to go. And it will accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And we stand on that promise. The word of God will not return void. It will accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And Lord, we just take authority over the enemy because Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal that seed. As it's going out, the enemy tries to steal that. So Lord, we agree together as a church right now. And we take authority in the name of Jesus. We bind any satanic force that in any way would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to get, accomplishing what it's supposed to do. We command it to be bound, and you will back off right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for your mighty angels just clearing all that away. And Lord, this will go forth in power. It'll be like a sword penetrating. It'll be the washing of the water, like a hammer that breaks down every stronghold. We thank you for everything being accomplished in and through this time that you will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so as we get into this tonight, I'm picking up where I left off last week. So... I felt last week, it was interesting because I didn't say anything, but at a certain point in the sermon, man, I felt like such spiritual warfare come against me. And apparently the enemy just did not want this. To, how many knows there's sometimes there's certain subjects the devil just does not want getting out there, you know? And I didn't say anything about it. And I get home and Stephen was telling me, he's like, man, I felt like at some point there was some warfare coming against you. And I said, well, you felt right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up now 
toward the latter part of the sermon and just kind of finish it and go over a few quick things. This will be shorter than usual, but I really wanted it to make sense. So tonight, here's the thing. Let me start with this. It's so important. I can't tell you how important this is, but I'm saying we never get settled in to where we're comfortable somewhere and we just camp out there spiritually and we never go deeper. I'm telling you that's a big deal. That's a religious spirit. It is so important that the rest of our lives that we remain hungry to know Jesus more closely, to learn things out of the word we didn't know, that we're always on this spiritual growth. It's a journey, isn't it? So we're on this journey and we're supposed to be on this path of life. We're supposed to be going from glory to glory, which is the scripture tonight. And a lot of times the devil will very subtly come in and will get people to camp out somewhere where they're comfortable and they'll never go any further. And in that camping out, and I'll give you a quick story about that. So I remember I was working at helping out at this church when I was quite young and it was in the days of the the great 90s revivals and God was really moving but this church wasn't really interested in that and I was helping out with the young people and the young people were you know they were interested in God touching them and and so I was enjoying that the Holy Spirit was moving but I remember I left there and years later came back for a little bit and it was the strangest phenomenon it was like I had time traveled. <laughs> they, the people looked older, but I mean, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. They, the same songs, the same spiritual deadness. There was no growth, no forward momentum. And I, I learned a great lesson from that. I learned that that's not what I want in my life. But unfortunately, wouldn't you say that that's a pretty common thing, unfortunately, everywhere you go, that a lot of people camp out at a certain place and they never go farther. So there's got to be this hunger to go deeper in Christ. There's got to be something in us that is, is the Holy Spirit in us driving us to pursue the Lord. You know, there's got to be that passion. And so that's the thing that you don't ever want to go out in your life is the hunger and the passion. Once that goes, then you're going to start settling into some area, get comfortable, get complacent, get lethargic. Pretty soon you're not really praying like you used to. You're not in the word. You're not witnessing. Your church attendance may wane some. You're just not hungry. It shows up in the worship. That passion that people used to have in their worship is gone. And pretty much what's happened is, is a religious spirit has come in and snuffed out the fire. That's really what happens. And uh, I'm not interested at all in trying to uh, argue, argue and debate and fuss with religious people. There's always going to be religious people. And we say this jokingly that the, the children of the Pharisees seem to be the same yesterday, today, and forever, you know. Um, that's unfortunately the way that it is. But I'm not interested in trying to debate with religious people and trying to get religious people to want God. I mean, I'll, I'll preach it and I'll minister, but if, if they're not hungry, they're not hungry. My heart's burning right now for a harvest of souls. That's what I'm burning for. 
not arguing with religious people that, are, that have spiritually allowed themselves in a certain place. See, if you're not careful, you know, Brother John talks about all that, he uses the phrase, you know, packing critters, and he's talking about spirits. But the worst critter that you can have in your life is a religious spirit. Because that will hinder your walk with God more than anything. And that religious spirit is what gets people to a place of sterility, dryness, complacency. All right. So with that said, here's the scripture tonight. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into Christ's image. Okay, so we're beholding him. And there is a, trans, a transformation that is taking place because of us beholding him. And it says from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So there is this from glory to glory. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. I want to talk about, though, I'm going to dovetail later back into this, what I started with, okay? So last week, what I was talking about was some things about the feast. I believe that the feast of the Lord are very interesting to me. And the feast of the Lord, first off, they're not Israel, Israel's feast. Excuse me. They're not Israel's feast. They're the Lord's feasts. And how many knows if something's important to the Lord, I want it to be important to me. And these dates are important to the Lord every year. It's like, for example, we have birthdays and anniversaries. We have different things that are important to us. As a, as a nation, we have the 4th of July, we have Thanksgiving. We have certain things that are important to the nation that we live in. And these feasts are important to the Lord. And so as I began to look into this, I know that, that prophetically what they speak of, and I know that Passover was fulfilled at Christ on the cross, and unleavened bread in the tomb, first fruits, the resurrection, Pentecost, the birth of the church. And I know that the fall feast, the rapture, is the feast of trumpets. The day of atonement has to do with the tribulation. And tabernacles, which we're in, has to do with the Lord coming to reign a thousand years. So they're prophetic, and I know that. Even within them, you can see a lot of things that that are uh, deep revelation that you learn from them. They're very interesting to study. But I wanted to give you some benefits for the feast because remember that these are the feast of the Lord. They're not Israel's feast. They're the Lord's feast. And the Lord's feast are for his people, okay? So let me just read through this. First off, Israel was living in Egypt for around 400 years. And all they saw while they were there, if you think about it, was Egyptian gods being worshipped, idolatry, the Egyptian temples, their form of worship to their gods. They probably heard a lot of Egyptian mythology. And so this went on for 400 years. I mean, it's a long time to be there. You know, that can establish a lot of deception, a lot of, um, it can kind of establish a bit of a culture there among God's people that he didn't want them to have. And so God brought them out of Egypt, and he could bring them out of Egypt pretty quickly, but it took some time for God to get Egypt out of them. And that was part of the problem, because as soon as Moses was gone very long, what was Israel doing? They were trying to fashion a golden calf, and they were reverting back to what they saw in Egypt, you see. 
which of course angered the Lord. And so last week I talked about how the feast of the Lord are connected to the harvest cycles. Remember that? Talked about the barley, then the wheat, then you have like the dates and olives at the end of the year. And I talked about the former and latter rain. How the, you know, at the end of fall there's the former rain and then you, on the other side of winter you see the latter rain. And these feasts were seeing God as their provider. He was the one that sent the rain. He's the one that brought in the harvest. So therefore, he's like a husband to them. He's a provider. He's a protector. He, he, was, he was good to them. And the feasts were as a thanksgiving to him for his provision, for his rain, for his harvest. And God had to take Israel out of Egypt, and he had to gradually purge that Egypt out of them. But he had to give Israel a culture that everything revolved around him their entire life revolved around worship to him the way he wanted it and one of the aspects of that is these feasts and it's a way of of worship to him and so let me give you some things about the feast i find interesting so number one i want you to think about this i gave this example last week but if you're if you're standing in the middle of a road and you have like a river flowing in a, pos a positive direction on your right and this river is flowing and if you get into this river it will help carry you in a positive direction so it, it's working with you going in a good direction but on the other side you have a polluted river that's working against you it's going backward and if you step into that you can try to go forward, but you're going to be going against a lot of resistance to do so. Does that make sense? And so the feast of the Lord were set up, if you understand them from a New Testament perspective, not through legalism, not through an Old Testament paradigm, but if you understand them properly the way the early church did, because the early church kept the feast for 300 years until Constantine came to power. But if you understand them fulfilled in Christ, non-religious, non-legalistic, fun, celebratory, you understand the meaning of them, all of that, it actually can be in your life a very positive thing, like stepping into that river that's helping you in a positive direction. And I'll, I'll give you some examples of that at the end of the sermon, cycles of revival, because we're talking about cycles. A lot of people's lives, if you look at a lot of Christianity, a lot of people's lives seem naturally to want to cycle down in a negative way. Have you noticed that? If the devil has his way, it's as though people's lives are going frustrating, difficult, down, and then they cry out to the Lord and the Lord will kind of send a revival, but then the enemy tries to work it back down again, you see. How many times have we seen that? Through the, okay, let's just use this example. The greater body of Christ in America. We saw one of the greatest revivals we've probably seen in the last hundred years during the 90s. Look at it now. You see? So it's like God sent revival and he did a great work. But then the enemy comes in and it goes back down, 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 cycle down. So God has to send revival again. 
But how many knows that the Lord doesn't want us to live like that? That's not his plan for you as an individual, and it's not his plan for a church. It's just that the enemies at work, and many times that people aren't careful, that the natural inclination in this sinful world we live is for things to go down spiritually, not up. So I'll give you another example. Let's say that somehow we could just freeze everything just like it is right now. Everybody just froze in place. I'm standing here. Everything freezes completely. And it's as though 100 years passes from now. If you come back in here in 100 years, things are not going to look good. You're going to see corpses, skeletons, cobwebs, roaches, rats, does this make sense? The, the sinful world that we live in has a tendency, unless you go against it, to go in a negative direction. And the feast of the Lord are just one of many things that help us to have cycles, if you will, of going from glory to glory. But if you're not careful, there are also some negative things you can step into that will try to pull you down, which I'll talk about that in a moment. So some of the evil feasts that are out there will try to pull you down. They'll try to defile you and pull you down. Now, as I talked about last week in America, America doesn't have a lot of evil feasts that are well known here. And the reason for that is because America's history we have a Judeo-Christian heritage. In the early years of our nation, our school system, the first thing children were taught to read was the Bible. There was prayer in school. Families honored God. This is a, a culture in America that was biblical. And so we didn't have a history here of having a lot of bad, evil-type feasts, if you will. Like, for example, when Israel went into the land of Canaan, the land of Canaan was just full of all kinds of uh, satanic worship, pagan temples, ungodly feasts. And God told him, he said, Israel, when you go in there, you better destroy their temples. You better tear down their altars. And you do not go to their feast with their worshiping their gods. You have nothing to do with any of that. You destroy it and erase it from the land. Because why? Because it was so established there. God wanted it cleaned out. Well, America hasn't had a history of that. So we don't have a lot of it. There, there, as America has grown and, and people have moved in from other nations, a lot of times they've brought in some of their culture in. And it's not a culture that honors God. It may be that they come out of Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever, and even over the last several decades, there's been a rise in, in witchcraft, in the occult, and they'll have feast under their gods, you see. So there, it is here, but it's not really well known and recognized on a high level, okay? So the only feast day, unfortunately, that is very satanic, that America seems to really celebrate every year is halloween which i don't really understand why it's gotten such a foothold in our nation but if people really knew what it was they wouldn't want to celebrate it. i'm just telling you now look it up for yourself 
Halloween's origins, and I'm not just going to dwell on origins, but their origins go back to the Druids, human sacrifice. It was very dark, very evil. But let's just ignore the origins for a moment. Halloween is 100% about what? Celebrating death, fear, evil, spiritual darkness, witchcraft, occult practices. There's nothing about it. I'm talking about nothing about it that is godly, Christ-like, or biblical. And the reason for that is, is because it was birthed out of the witchcraft and druid practices of back in, in ancient England, the, that Celtic system that was there many, many years ago. It came out of that. And so it's a very dark, satanic thing. And people don't realize it, but when they get into these satanic feasts, and here's the interesting thing about it, this, this feast system, they're actually, I don't have a long time here to get into this, it would bog down too much, but there's at least eight major feast days throughout the year that witches celebrate. Halloween is considered like the first of the year. By the Satanist, it's considered the devil's birthday. <laughs> but to the witches, it's like a new year to them. And that one, and then you have other, other celebratory times. You have uh, like the solstice of winter. It's called Yule. And then you get into the Ishtar in the spring. The other big one is at May 1st, and that's called Beltane. And that's another one. It's basically kind of like Halloween in the spring. It's, take a while to explain it. But Halloween is ushering in the, the cold weather. And Beltane is ushering in the warm weather. And then you have the summer, summertime, uh, the solstice and all that. You have the harvest home. And then it cycles back to Halloween. But see, you don't, you've never even heard of these feasts, right? Because they're witchcraft feasts. The only one you're familiar with is Halloween because society has accepted it. But if you get into these satanic feasts and you really celebrate them, what you're doing is, is you're stepping into a polluted negative river that's trying to work against you. There's a defilement in it. And another thing that's interesting to me is that even though it's got different names it's very similar in, in different ways is that here in America it's called Halloween but south of us it's called the Day of the Dead and it's the same type of feast and it's about the dead it's death the God of Halloween that's worshipped is pronounced Samhain because of the ancient language but it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N so in English, it looks like Samhain, that's the way, but it's actually pronounced Samhain. The God that is being worshipped in Halloween is the God of death. And he's many times seen like a grim reaper. Isn't that interesting? You'll see what Christians are doing and they don't realize they're doing it because they're very ignorant, I guess, about these things. But they're sitting over here celebrating this satanic thing, a different God. It has nothing to do with the God of the Bible. You understand that? Darkness and evil and death, celebrating that. And then they come to church and they want to celebrate the Lord and it's working against them spiritually. 
Now let's look at some different examples. It doesn't have to just be Halloween. Let's say that somebody had come out of Islam and they accepted the Lord. Well, they were involved in a system of worship in Islam as they celebrated those celebratory days, even days of fasting and prayer that they do. Those things were kind of working with them like a, a river flowing with them in Islam. There was kind of a spiritual empowerment in it with them. But once they accept Christ as their savior, it's like now they're going to have to renounce that and pray about it because now those things will try to work against them. See, they've turned and now they're going in a different direction following Christ. And it's like those spiritual forces of Islam is going to start resisting them. Does that make sense? So I, I don't want to dwell too much on any one thing because there's a lot of examples. Last week it was, it was somewhat of a complex issue, but God was saying in the scriptures to be careful. He was telling God, he, God was speaking to us, his people, and he was saying, don't go sit at the table of demons. And it says those words. It says the sacrifices that the pagans do is to demons. And so basically with Halloween, it's unto Samhain, that God. But whatever other pagan religion that there's out there, they have their gods and behind their gods, the idol, the temple, the altar, all of that, what you have to understand is once you get past all of that, it's a demonic entity, a demonic spirit. And that's what they're actually worshiping. And Paul was saying that you can't go to those feasts and those temples and those altars and, and sit there in a celebratory way toward that God and then come to church and worship the one true God. He said you will provoke the Lord to jealousy. So number one, remember this from last week, just a quick recap. He said, do not have anything to do with idolatry. He said, flee idolatry. So anything to do with other, other gods being worshiped, witchcraft the occult spiritual darkness paul said just get away from it and stay away from it number two sexual immorality don't have anything to do with any type of sex outside of marriage flee sexual immorality number three he said don't eat blood and you'll find that in a lot of pagan cultures that's part of things that are done which i'll, I'll get to more of that in a moment as well all right so regarding these feast days there was a lady that my wife won to the Lord out of Satanism. And she was telling us that, that her, her uh, coven that worshiped together, Satanist, she said that they would do different rituals for a period of time. But they said that around certain times, they were like high, really high satanic holidays. And she was trying to explain to us how she felt about it as a Satanist or how her group did. And she said, for example, she said around Halloween time, she said it was so powerful that she said it was as though hell itself had drawn really near to them. And that the demonic realm had really come up and that they, all that they were doing ritualistically was empowered now to be fulfilled. Well, that's creepy, isn't it? But on the contrast, it does seem 
that during these feasts of the Lord, that the Lord does seem to draw near. It seems like heaven is near, doesn't it? And it's biblical because the Bible says at these appointed times. And when you look up the word in Hebrew, moed, moedim, the moed, it means in English like a divine appointment. So the example would be this. Let's say that you called me and said, Pastor, can we get together? I said, sure. They said, well, when do you want to meet? And they said, well, can you meet me at 2 o'clock at Starbucks? I said, okay, yeah, let's do it. So we set up Thursday, 2 o'clock Starbucks. It was a divine appointment we were supposed to meet there. It was a time to come together. That's the best way to explain the word moed in Hebrew. God said at these times, I will meet with you in a special way. These are appointed times. And some people don't understand this and won't like this, but here in River of Life, you can attest to the fact that when these times have rolled around, it seems like the Lord is near, doesn't it? It seems like his presence, there's a special presence. Here, just look at this week, for example. We celebrated tabernacles. We had a conference. Did it seem to anybody that the Lord was near this week? <laughs> so there is something to it. And Brother John talked about it. He said there was something to the, the timing of these feasts coming together. And there is, there's something to it. It seems like during satanic times, I'll give you another example. There's a, during the, um, I don't remember the name of it, but during Islam, they have a time when it's a special celebratory time, I guess. And the, they're sitting here going, working themselves up into a frenzy and with swords are like cutting their head open, blood. And it's like, conjuring something there's some kind of an, a, a power that is emerging but it's satanic isn't that something and you see that in the bible because during the days of elijah you remember how the prophets of baal responded elijah said you know you've been worshiping baal and he said let's i'll tell you what let's have a showdown let's build an altar here he said now you conjure up or summon you're God and I'll just wait on you I'll sit back here and what were they doing they were working themselves up in some kind of a weird frenzy maybe some kind of a dance or whatever and they were taking swords and they were cutting themselves why because there's something about the blood being shed that's supposed to empower the demonic and they did everything they could but they could not conjure it and so Elijah eventually started making fun of him said hey maybe he's asleep maybe he went on vacation and forgot to tell you things like that and they never could summon Baal. And then Elijah prayed and God came down with fire. We know the story. Hopefully this is making sense tonight. But during these times, it seems like the dark times, the enemy is empowered and his forces are trying to draw near. And those that worship and serve him, they're, they're kind of empowered by that, you know. But during these feast times, it seems like the Lord is something special. He draws near to his people. So some of the benefits of the feast are also that they help you to learn God's nature and his ways better. One example of many that I could give is that around Passover. You know, we set up here a table and we go through an illustrated sermon of the Lord's Last Supper, which his Last Supper was a Passover meal. So as we go through that, you learn about how God is a God of blood covenant. I've taught on blood covenant. You understand how faithful he is to his blood covenant. 
you see you learn about his nature and and the whole thing is about how jesus came and gave his life and he he was willing to come the four cups of passover speak of things that that were fulfilled at the cross the sanctification sanctifying work number one the first cup the the deliverance that jesus paid for the second cup the the healing the communion that was in the third cup and then finally the coming of the lord the hallel the final cup that he's coming soon we need to be looking for him so you learn about his nature and his ways at pentecost we always have a conference at pentecost which by the way brother john said he would come back at pentecost amen so I'm looking forward to that but we have these pentecost and what do we learn about god's nature and character at pentecost well god drew israel to sinai and he gave his word to his covenant people and then on the day of pentecost god gave his holy spirit to his covenant people so god we see at passover god's a god of blood covenant he's brought us into his family now we see his nature that not only are we considered his family but he loves us and he's given us his word and his spirit as his family you see so you learn about god you learn about his ways his nature who he is these feasts seem to help connect us in a special way to the lord also god's feast helped connect us to his timing which i talked about last week this is very important to me so i was talking about this with brother john because he had been studying the feast recently and we kind of had an interesting conversation about it but when my wife and i first got married you know we had went through any type of deliverance generational deliverance we prayed about everything but yet i noticed without looking for it that around the satanic feast time like halloween and many others that i noticed that she she was coming under some warfare and it was really strange to me and i was like why is this even going on i mean you know maybe like bad dreams at night just straight just feeling like an oppression a heaviness and i sought the lord about it now the lord showed me that her family had connected to those satanic feasts and while they were in the occult and in witchcraft and all of that hopefully this will make sense to you they were going the wrong direction but that polluted water that current those those satanic feasts were carrying them empowering them in the wrong direction generationally the bloodline everything was kind of moving in a wrong direction and because they had set at the table of demons and they participated in all that it was like a current there was like a flow in the wrong direction well she accepted christ and renounced all that so she had turned her back on all of that but now she's facing the resistance of it And so now that polluted current was resisting and coming against her like an enemy. And so I began to pray about that and we had to break that and we had to get her out of the, that resistance completely. And what God put on my heart was that as we started celebrating the feast of the Lord, see a lot of times in deliverance, you'll learn this, in deliverance ministry, it's important that you don't leave a void, a vacuum. remember jesus said if an evil spirit leaves he'll try to get seven others and come back find it swept and clean try to return it's important that when you get people 
free, first off, they need to accept the Lord, okay, and become his covenant people. But when you expel the enemy, they need to get filled with the Holy Spirit, you see. When you break curses, you need to bring blessings on their life. Okay, well, whenever, this is just what God showed me. It's what he put on my heart for, for her. But when we pulled, we prayed and we broke all of this completely and separated completely from that current, I felt it was important that we brought, into, brought her into the feast of the Lord. And now, since we did that, there's absolutely no resistance at those satanic feast days whatsoever none we don't even know if they come or go isn't that the truth nothing but what we do know is when the feast of the lord come you sense his nearness and something else that was interesting to me is timing somebody that understands what i'm talking about is chuck pierce and Robert Heidler and there's guys out there in Denton and and they were talking about the timing and I was at a, a conference with them one time and Chuck was talking about it. he said you know he said there's some people that are always living out of sync with the Lord it's like the Lord moves to the right and somehow they move to the left they're out of sync they're out of timing and he said one of the ways that this can happen, he said, for example, he said when there's Freemasonry in somebody's bloodline, he said that there can be something there that tries to cause you to be out of step, out of timing with what the Lord's doing. It tries to work against you. And can you see what I'm saying here tonight? When there was a negative flow, a negative current, when the satanic feast came, you could feel that because that was that current. You have to disconnect out of those things and get in the proper flow, the proper current. Not that you have to keep the feast of the Lord. I don't believe that you do at all. But there is a blessing there, I believe. But you need to get out of the negative timing and into God's timing. And he said the feast of the Lord help connect you to God's timing. And I believe that that's true. Because the Bible calls Israel God's fig tree. Things that's going on. But remember Jesus connected the fig tree to timing. He said you'll see that it begins to produce shoots out of it. And he said you know that summer's near. You know he was connecting the fig tree to timing. So there is something to timing. How many knows that I want my life to be connected to what God is doing when he's doing it? If God's moving in a powerful way, I want to be right in the middle of it. If God's doing something right now in the fall of 2020, I want to be right in tandem with him. I want to be in step with what he's doing. And I believe, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't like that. I've seen in River of Life, if God's going to move in a really powerful way, I've seen sometimes where people are out of step, out of tandem, that they seem to be gone at the wrong time. It's just it's like out of step with things, out of sync. So the feast of the Lord do help connect with God's timing. And here's the last couple things I wanted to talk about, um, and then we'll pray. They help to purge the gates overhead. You know, the enemy wants to brass the heavens. He wants to make it difficult to pray, oppressed and heavy. 
these feast times, if you, if you understand it from a New Testament perspective, they really help to purge and open the gates overhead, to open the heavens. And so I'm going to explain that more in just a moment. But I wanted to say something. I'm going to say three more quick things, and then I'm going to close with where I wanted to get with this. Last week, I talked about these vaccines and, and all that, so I wanted to kind of clarify something. I find it kind of interesting, and I hate to even have to talk about this, but I do feel like you need to know. So with people that, that worship the devil, and again, I'm sorry I have to talk about this, but you need to know. People that worship the devil, that are Satanists, etc., when they do their satanic rituals, it involves sexual activity, but it also involves bloodshed. There's human sacrifice, and with that, there's cannibalism. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know it's gross. I'm sorry to even have to talk about it. But there's drinking blood, eating flesh. All right. So what they're doing, though, when they're doing these satanic rituals is they're creating like some kind of an open hell, an open portal where they're conjuring things up. But I find it very concerning. Last week I talked about this, that the Bible so clearly says to not in the new testament do not drink blood and it talked about eating food sacrificed to idols remember that like very specifically said those things it said don't do those things i find it concerning to me and this was kind of where i was going with some of this tonight that we know as christians that abortion is basically a human sacrifice on an altar of convenience to the god the demon god moloch that's exactly what it is people may not realize what they're doing but it doesn't mean that it's not there let me say that again abortion is a human sacrifice on an altar of convenience did y'all catch that it's an altar of convenience but it's a human sacrifice unto the demonic gods like Moloch in the Bible. Baal, Jezebel, that realm. There's a spirit called Lilith that has to do with these things as well. It is, it is literally, and this may be new to some people, but I'm just telling you that that's the way in the spirit realm, that's the way God sees it, and that's the way the devil sees it. Did y'all hear what I just said? People may not like that because, you know, what's culturally acceptable in, um, in America. Well, you know what? Witchcraft and the witchcraft practices were culturally acceptable in Africa for many generations too. Does it make it right? So, are y'all following where I'm going with this? So, you're dealing here from God's perspective and the devil's perspective. You're dealing with a human sacrifice unto a demonic entity, Okay. Why do you think that there's such an insane rage in the spirit realm at the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned? Think about it for a minute. What is raging? I'll tell you what it is, fallen angels. It's Moloch, Baal, Jezebel, those type of spirits that are being worshipped with that blood sacrifice that's empowering them and the possibility that it's going to be overthrown they're stirred up in a rage 
Now here's what I'm concerned about. I'm not in any way against all vaccines at all. I'm not one of those type people. But I am concerned about some things that I see. I want to know why they're putting aborted babies in the vaccines. And yes, they are. Look it up for yourself. I want to know why they're doing that. We talked about food sacrificed to idols, right? We talked about not eating blood. Why is it that the powers that be feel that they need to take what we understand as a human sacrifice to a demonic being and then they need to put that in a vaccine and put it in everybody? Is anybody else following where I'm going with this? Does anybody else find this strange? Why are they putting that in vaccines? It was never there before. Why all of a sudden now in this generation is it becoming a thing? And yes, it is. Look it up. That's one of the things that's been in the news on the 700 Club's covered it really well that a lot of people are going to have a problem even with this current vaccine with COVID because it has aborted baby fetus in it. Most of it. Some of it may not, but a lot of it does. And people don't want that injected in them. Let me say it again because I'm not sure everybody's following my line of thinking here. You're taking a human sacrifice to a demonic God, food sacrifice to idols. Are you following me? Putting it in something that you're putting in people. What exactly is that going to do to people spiritually? What effect is it going to have? I don't know. But I do know that there's a defilement. I do believe that it's not something that God wants put in our bodies. And those, the reason I mentioned those that worship the devil and they have this cannibalism, it's a form of cannibalism, isn't it? It's a form of it. It may not be eating it with your mouth, but it's still going into you. So it's a form of it. It's similar. It's in like manner. So I'm just concerned as a preacher about the spiritual health and well-being of people. And I find it odd that in the culture that we live in America, Judeo-Christian heritage has allowed this murder of babies and we know it's human sacrifice. Just like in Islam when they perform terrorist acts and they murder people under their God Allah, you know as well as I do that the people that are being killed in the name of Islam under Allah is human sacrifice to Allah. At least that's the way God sees it, and that's the way the devil sees it. And this just concerning to me, and I think that, you know, people always complain, well, why, aren't the, why are the pulpits being silent? I'm not being silent about it. I'm talking about it. Not every pulpit's silent. People just don't want to hear a lot of times. So just think about what I'm saying. Be careful. So, you know, when my parents were kids, there was a certain amount of vaccines. It was pretty normal. It was pretty standard. But things have gotten strange. Look into it for yourself. Why are they putting some of the things in the vaccines now? And why did it go from such a small amount of them into this huge amount of vaccine? Look at how many from the time my, my parents were children until now what they're wanting to put in your children. Why has there been so, such an increase of them? Why? So I'm just asking questions. I want to provoke you to think about it for yourself. 
I want to provoke you to look into it because I'm concerned when they're starting to put aborted babies in the vaccines that something is not right. Whose idea is that? I want you to think about it for a moment. I'm not a big conspiracy person, but I want to know whose idea it is and why. And I think that is a legitimate question. And so I talked about this last week, what was fulfilled, what, you know, God gave Israel in the natural, now has been fulfilled in the spiritual. Remember that? And we talked about Israel had a kosher diet. And now in the spiritual, God wants us to be careful what we're feeding on spiritually. What are you watching? What are you listening to? The conversations you have. Things that are affecting you spiritually. And even some things like blood and food sacrifice to idols and things like that. The Bible says in the New Testament to avoid these things for a reason. They spiritually defile. And I'm just telling you guys this. Please hear me, River of Life. I think you have eyes to see and ears to hear. I feel resisted when I'm preaching this. It's not you. Something doesn't want preachers talking about this and asking these questions. I feel it. I felt it last week. And I prayed about it all week. And I said, Lord, you're going to just... Because something doesn't want preachers asking these questions and getting God's people thinking about it. There's certain things, if you're not careful, and I said last week, and this is for River of Life especially, remember the anointing? Brother John prayed for us. Now, I told you last Saturday, and now you've experienced it. God told me that River of Life, you have prepared yourself God is going to give you a fresh anointing. Brother John's coming. He's going to pray for you. There's going to be an anointing. How many felt that? God anointed us. What the fresh anointing was for is to go into the Holy of Holies. And that was the scripture God gave me last week. He said, Exodus 30, 29, you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them is to be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me. So they were anointed so they could go in to the holy place and once a year the high priest of the holy of holies but they had to be anointed to go deeper in the presence. So what God has been putting on my heart for river of life is this. We're living in the last days. I'm talking about the book of Revelation. There's a lot of strange things going on. And we just need to talk about it, we need to think about it, and we need to be aware because the Bible makes it clear that the Babylonian system of the world, which is going to be the worldwide economy, worldwide military, definitely the political structure, the religions of the world, there's going to be this Babylonian system that the false prophet will be a part of and the Antichrist will rule over. And that system is going to involve all kinds of health care, finances, Y'all following me? Every sphere. And we need to talk about it. We need to talk about what's going on. We need to, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We don't want to be ensnared and all entangled up with Babylon. And so this is the last two things I want to say is this. That river of life, God has touched us. He's put his oil on us. There's a fresh anointing, 
And God is anointing us to go deeper in the glory than we've ever been. And it's begun. You can already sense it. It's already happening. But I, I felt the Holy Spirit say to River of Life, be careful. Be careful. There's things that you can get away with in the outer court that you cannot get away with in the Holy of Holies. God expects us, if we're going to be a glory people, we're going to be a Holy of Holies people, He's going to expect a level of godly convictions in our life that He may not expect out of some people over there. I don't know. But out of glory people, there's things that you're not going to, the Holy Spirit's not going to let you watch that somebody else may feel like they can watch. There's things that you won't be able to go to and participate in because God has called you, just like Aaron, you shall consecrate them to be most holy, that they can go in to the presence. So there is something where God's saying for you, river of life, if you want to go into revival and you want to go into the deep places of God's presence, there's things that you're not going to be permitted to. Other people may say they're free to drink or whatever, but you'll find the Holy Spirit says, you ain't doing it. There's other people that say they're free to do this, that, and the other. Maybe, you know, tattoo their body, but you, you know not to defile your body. There's things that you will have convictions about that other people may not. But it's to go deep into the glory. And there's things, if you want to go deep in the glory, there's things God's, the Holy Spirit isn't going to let you do. But you won't want it either because you want him. You know, that's the thing. Once you fall in love with the Lord and you get close to him, how many have experienced this? The desires that you used to have fade. You don't want those things anymore. How many remember the day that you, you look forward to going out, going out to maybe a bar or club and, and drinking and sexual immorality and all those things? You remember there was a time you looked forward to all of that. You couldn't wait to get off work. But then once you got saved and God changed you, now you can't even stand the thought of something like that. You don't want anything to do with it. You look forward to what? Going to church and being in God's presence, being around your family, being around Christians. You, your desires change. God changes you on the inside. You're a new creation. And so this is the last thing I wanted to talk about was this. I opened with cycles cycles going from glory to glory how there is something special about the feast of the lord there is something about that there's also something negative about ungodly feasts that seem to have a power about it to pull you down but here's what i have found cycles of revival cycles of going from glory to glory remember me telling the story about the place i went back two years later nothing had changed okay so let me just give you an example so around the spring feast time before we get into the whole passover easter time where we look at the death burial and resurrection of the lord here in river of life i have felt and i just really honor you guys because you guys have really gone with me going after god okay not everybody would do that but i felt before that that there would be a couple weeks that we could set aside to pray and fast and we're asking the lord lord show me is there any person i need to forgive is there any sin to confess is there anything in my life that you need to change 
And so it's a couple weeks of really examining ourselves, and it's important. See, a lot of people maybe never do that. I'm talking about cycles of going from glory to glory. Or you can just camp out and stay the same the rest of your life in this one place, right? You see what I'm saying? And so for us to go to glory to glory, there's got to be some kind of a hunger. There's got to be some kind of a pursuit after the Lord. And so we're saying for those two weeks, Lord, search me and know me and try me. Is there anything in me that's holding me back? Anything you need to change? Show me. I repent. And we do some self-examining. We let God do a work in us. And then it's interesting because connected to Passover, one of the aspects of Passover in the natural, remember, is purging the leaven out of your house, purging the yeast out, right? And so I always tell people, look, go through your home and make sure that there's nothing in there that would grieve the Holy Spirit. Maybe over the last year, something has crept in. Just go through and do a fresh house cleaning. Make sure there's nothing in your home. And any of us, my wife will tell you, any of us that have ministered to people in deliverance understand the importance of not having satanic things or something in your home. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So there's something about purging our lives, purging our homes. And then we come together for what we call deep consecration service where we, we really take communion together. My wife and I will anoint everybody with oil and pray over you. And we have water immersion if anybody wants to come and people in River of Life are hungry, on fire, so everybody comes, you know. And the presence of God has just been awesome but here's my point in that. It's a deep consecration. It's a cleansing in our lives. It's in a search me, Lord. Know me. Cleanse me. Cleanse my home. Cleanse my life. And so do you see how these feast times help you go from glory to glory? Does that make sense? See, you're putting the blood over the doorpost of your home at Passover. You're, you're, you're examining, is my home pleasing to the Lord? Is my life pleasing to the Lord? Is there any leaven in me? You're searching yourself, searching your home. And then on the other side of that, we have our Pentecost conference where a fresh move of the Lord comes in. So we have like our Sinai experience. Is this making sense? So what's happening is, is we're going from glory to glory. Instead of just camping out somewhere and getting settled in there and we're just going to sit there the rest of our lives, there is a deliberate pursuit that this year I want to see God move in my life more this year than last year. There's a hunger to go deeper in Him. Because there's a hunger and a passion then we're saying, Lord, I'm going to set aside a time of fasting. I'm going to seek you. Search me. Search my home. I don't want any leaven in my life. And then we come together to cleanse our lives, to bring our families together under the blood. And then what? Holy Ghost revival. The glory increases. The anointing increases. Same thing with the fall feast. It's the same pattern. God gave these feasts of the Lord to help God's people step kind of into a positive current to help you go like up an escalator that your life should be going from glory to glory it's a pattern not that you have to keep the feast to be saved or anything like that but there is a pattern there and i think if the pattern is honored 
it helps produce revival. Let me give you an example. In the fall feast, in the month, starting in the month of Elul, what happens? It's a time again of, of humbling ourselves, confessing and repenting of sin. And even, even Israel does this. I mean, during the month of Elul into uh, the um, Day of Trumpets, Yom Teruah into the Days of Awe, there is a deep repentance confessing and repenting of sin even even it's going on with the the jewish people but it's a time think about what i'm saying you humble yourself again you're praying and fasting set apart a couple weeks doing the same thing and then we come together and have the tabernacles the glory conference so again you're having this deep cleansing you're praying and fasting you're pushing in to go deeper to see an increase of the anointing and the glory of God in your life. I hope that this makes sense tonight. But to be honest with you, I, I think that it's such a foreign concept, unfortunately, to many. But God never intended for us to settle in somewhere, camp out there, and never go deeper in Him. And that more than anything is what I took away as I studied the feast, was that if you understand them from a New Testament perspective, and you understand what God's intent was, in actual fact, they should help produce cycles of revival in your life and help you go from glory to glory. And I believe that that's exactly what has happened to us here in the fall. We had, maybe six weeks ago, we had a period of fasting and prayer. We came together, consecrated our lives, and then we had this fall glory conference. How many have felt like God has put a fresh anointing in your life? I mean, you, you, literally, I feel different. Do you feel different? Do you feel like there's a fresh fire, that God has increased his presence? Do you feel like in your life, I ask the question, do you feel like in your life that there's a renewed hunger and passion for him this week? Do you feel that you're going deeper in Christ? Be honest, do you feel it? See, that's what I'm talking about. If as a ministry... If we will have a corporate time of going after God. And, and I'm going to close with this about Cane Ridge. In actual fact, the revival at Cane Ridge was like this. They said, they said, look, it was originally the Red River Revival. And James McGreedy came and he began to pray and fast. But he said, why don't we do this? Why don't we have a time where we bring other churches together and let's have a period of prayer and fasting? And let's ask God to forgive us. And let's come together and let's take communion. And then let's ask the Lord to come and touch our lives. It's the same pattern. And God came down at Cane Ridge in a phenomenal way. Same pattern. If you study revival history as I have, you see the same pattern. There would be a group of people that were burdened with what they saw society was backslid and what they do they begin to humble themselves pray and fast and go after god lord search me is there anything in me but they begin to cry out to send revival and then as they repented consecrated their life then they would press in and god will come down and send revival it's the same pattern it's a pursuit a hunger for more of him which results in lord cleanse me seeking him and then the result is revival same pattern 
And I found that to be really interesting in my life. So, Lord, I thank you for your word tonight as we close this out. We've looked at some interesting things over the last couple of weeks. But, Lord, I just pray that this will get where it needs to go and accomplish what it needs to do. People need to be aware as Christians, need to be aware of what the world, the sinful world is doing. And, Lord, I pray that eyes will be open, that people will look into things for themselves. They will find the information they need to find. But most importantly, that even though we're in this world, that we will be very pure. We will abstain from worldliness. We'll stay away from ungodly things. We don't want to be defiled and polluted by this world in any way. We want to be a very holy people, anointed with the oil of the Lord, and we can be in your presence under your glory in these last days. There's protection in that. There's provision. And Lord, we thank you for it. Let this word go forth. Let it accomplish what it needs to and let it be sealed in every life and every heart. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll shut down recordings. I, you know, I don't say that every time I preach, but if I've ever felt resisted, I felt resisted in those sermons.